Welcome to the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I am the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 20 and is from the service of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter for November 26, 2023. The scripture lesson is Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 to 46, and the sermon is entitled, These Aren't the Kings You're Looking For. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Tonight is Christ the King Sunday. I will confess, it is a Sunday that whose very name has made me somewhat uncomfortable. I am not a huge fan of autocracy. I am not any kind of fan of autocracy, nor am I a fan of inherited birthrights and uh, aristocratic systems that devolve from inheriting from one's parents the, the right to rule over a large mass of people. So this language of kingship has always struck me as off-putting. I'm not the only one. 
There are lots of people who don't like the king language that we associate with Christ, not just on this Sunday, but on all the Sundays, in much of the hymnody, much of, a lot of which we have sung already tonight. And so you'll see words like the realm of God instead of the kingdom of God or the dominion of God, or some uh, folks, including some uh, someone known to a lot of the folks here, uh, my colleague Ginger, will always talk about the kingdom of God without the G, talking about the sort of the family nature of the people of God. I've, I have a book called uh, somewhere, um, something about the empire of the world and the commonwealth of God. And I always liked that, commonwealth of God. That's good. That's nice and Republican. I can, I can get behind that. But nevertheless, here we have this central teaching of Jesus, one of the most cited, most famous passages in all the New Testament, read here on Christ the King Sunday, in which Christ is presented to us as a king upon a throne. And here the Son of Man gives a scene of judgment. And so this is an apocalyptic parable. This is a story telling not just Jesus' teachings in, in just an ordinary context, sitting on a mountainside saying, here's how you ought to treat each other, but placing those teachings within the context of judgment on judgment day. And the metaphor that we are given is of sort of being dragged into the hall in front of the sovereign, in front of the king on his throne, who will then separate much the way a shepherd does the sheep and the goats into two groups, the righteous and the wicked. And we don't, by the way, uh, there's, there's a song that came out some years ago that says sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. Uh, we ought not to read too much into the metaphor. Sheep and goats are both fine in God's eyes. But here in this separation, we have a distinction that is made and this has long been understood as a central teaching in Christian faith. When I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was thirsty, you did not give me anything to drink. When I was naked, you did not clothe me. When I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. When I was in prison, you did not visit me. And the righteous and the wicked alike sort of wonder when it was they either did do these things or did not do these things. Whereupon the king says, just as you have done or not done to the least of these, you have done or not done to me. And there is much in this passage that is understood as fundamental instruction for Christians as to what we are supposed to do. And it would be hard to argue that there were things more central to Christian discipleship than feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, and visiting the imprisoned, um, you know, or the captive, depending on your translation. That is, those who are imprisoned may not be those convicted of crimes, but those held captive 
um, by foreign powers or by others. And so the idea is that we are supposed to be on the side of the marginalized in the society, the ones who have the least, the ones who count the least in the way society reckons. That's what it means by the least of these, that we are supposed to be on their side. That seems obvious, except for the fact that so many Christians don't seem to do that or don't seem to have any sense that that is what it's about. Instead, Christianity is seen as making public statements about being a Christian or wearing Christian uh, you know, jewelry or putting a little cross in your social media profile or something else, but it has nothing to do with taking care of the poor and the alien and the stranger and the captive. So as cliche as Matthew 25 is, it's also really, really necessary because it doesn't seem to have really taken hold of us the way it ought to have. But still, could not this lesson have been given without the threat of judgment by a king presiding over a final reckoning? Was there not some other way that Jesus could have made this lesson without invoking this whole structure of power and abuse and tyranny that we are used to to drive that point home? Christ the King Sunday, as I said, is the last Sunday of the Christian year, that a new Christian year begins next Sunday, with the first Sunday in Advent. And one of the challenges about Advent, uh, especially in our churches, is when do we get to start playing the Christmas music in service? Everyone wants to play it earlier than than usually the clergy do because the clergy are trying to have some sense of advent and waiting but there is there is there are a few hymns that you can get away with because they're not really christmas hymns oh come oh come emmanuel the most adventy hymn there is right it's all about waiting and expectation no arrival no birth nothing no wise men no camels no shepherds Lo, how a rose there blooming. It's kind of, you know, it's like half and half. It's kind of Isaiah, so it's prophetic about the future and things like that. Technically, joy to the world doesn't say anything about Christmas or the new birth or the birth of Christ. So you can slide that one in if you need to. And some might argue that good King Wenceslas isn't a Christmas carol either. I mean, it doesn't mention Christmas at all. We know that it is in Christmas season because it mentions the Feast of Stephen, which is December 26th. So good King Wenceslas is looking out upon the Feast of Stephen and sees a poor man gathering wood. And when he asks his page, Who, who's this? And the page says, oh, that's he lives, you know, underneath the mountain. He's, you know, a good league hence. And so... King Wenceslas says, well, let's let's gather food and drink and we'll go out and we'll bring this to him. And they do. And it's cold and bitter, but it's said that so holy was good King Wenceslas that where he trod, the, the ground itself was warm for the page to step in. 
Now, it's a lovely hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. It mentions nothing about Christmas at all. And so one might say, so why does this even count as one? And the answer comes from an old tradition that it was believed that when you beheld a poor person, you were beholding Christ himself. So what Wenceslas is doing is not simply being charitable. He is serving his Lord by serving this poor person. That is the heart of Matthew 25. And so what we begin to understand is that perhaps this text isn't just a list of instructions. Perhaps Matthew 25 is not just a charge telling us what we ought to do, but it's telling us something deeper. See, one of the major differences between the Judeo-Christian tradition, the Western tradition today, the Western religious tradition today, and the religious traditions and the cultural traditions that came before that was the subject of the story. That is, when you read the Odyssey or the Iliad, or when you read Gilgamesh or other ancient epics, it's Odysseus who's the hero of the story. It's Gilgamesh who's the hero of the story. It's Jason or any of the other heroes of old who are the heroes of those stories. And those stories are told about Odysseus and about Gilgamesh, among others. But when you read the Bible, no matter who the story is ostensibly about, the story is always really only and ever about God. So all the stories that we've looked at in Bible study about Jacob, the stories about Abraham, the stories about Jonah, the stories about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, Paul, all of it. All the stories are really about God. That is, they are not told for the human character's own sake, but for what the human character helps us to understand about God. So I submit to you that Matthew 25 isn't so much a statement about what we're supposed to do, although it certainly has implications of what we're supposed to do, as much as it is a statement about who God is, and not just who God is, but who God as a king is. That this king is unlike the kings of our reality the kings who associate with the high and mighty, the kings who serve their own interests, who see their countries as lands to enrich themselves, who say things like, I am the state, who see the wealth of their peasantry as simply their property on loan to those people until they are paid back. This king identifies with the hungry, identifies with the needy, identifies with the naked and the homeless and the stateless and the imprisoned and says, that's me. If you want to find me, you didn't have to wait and you should not have waited until you came before this throne, but you ought to have been serving 
the least of these, where that is where my throne is. That is who I am. So often, when we go looking for God, we do as uh, as Albert Schweitzer, the great uh, religious scholar, said, is that we gaze down the well of history and behold our own reflection, that we keep finding the God who looks like us, or who looks like what we want, who looks like the powers that we support, and the projects and the politics and the parties and all of it that we support and we fall into this idea that the kings like to use saying that they rule because God wants them to. And so we associate God with power and we pray for God to give our side power. We pray for God to make the nation, the, the, the polity, the whatever it is, powerful. When the whole time God is saying, that's not where I am. I'm down here with the hungry and the thirsty, the naked, the stranger, and the captive. You're looking for the wrong kind of king. To me, that's how I can, as anti-monarchist as I am, celebrate a Christ the King Sunday. Because the king whom we proclaim is not the king's light of the world, is not like the powerful who act for their own ends, the mighty who seek to hoard the resources of the world, but like those and standing in solidarity with those who have the least, who count the least in our ordinary societal reckoning. That's a king who doesn't just reinforce the systems of the world, but a king who transforms them into something divine. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us again soon.